0: Well, good morning. (laughs) It's great to see you guys here today. Uh, Welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. And you know, we are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And that's a what a wonderful thing, and pretty soon you heard on, the, uh, you have probably saw it on your calendar that uh, we're getting close to Christmas. You saw in the back we have the Operation Christmas Child boxes and all those back there that are happening, and just uh, something that was brought to me this morning to let you know uh, that they've gone high-tech now, and if you know how to use one of these QR codes and you want to track your box, now you can do that. So you could pick up one of these stickers, and then you fill out your box, and then you can, uh, they follow the instructions. And... If you just want to do it old school and you don't care, just send it. You can do that as well. Okay. With that, uh, not only are we uh, Christmas coming, but between now and when we start Advent, we're starting a brand new series called Here Comes the Son. And the reality is that as disciples of Jesus, we want to know Jesus, right? We want to know him as he he fully is. And we spent all last summer going through the Gospels, and I think as Christians, we're very familiar with his earthly ministry, how Jesus revealed himself when he was here ministering uh, in person. We saw him as the Lamb of God, the suffering servant. Uh, He was meek, he was mild, a a wonderful teacher, full of grace and truth. And we're very, uh, I think, familiar and comfortable with that Jesus. However, we wrestle oftentimes as Christians, I believe, when we go back into the Old Testament and we look at his ministry before his incarnation. How he's revealed himself as the creator and the lawgiver and the judge, right? The, the same God who came to save us is the one who flooded the earth or brought fire down onto Sodom and Gomorrah. And sometimes we, we wrestle with that. Or I think we also at times, we, we wonder about his current ministry, where it says the word that he stands before the Father, he's our advocate, he is, uh, he is interceding for us on our account, he is uh, a high priest, right? He has these executive roles preparing a place for us. And not only that, and then I think we, we look into prophecy, and I think we sometimes, we, we marvel over his future ministry as it's revealed, as this conquering king that brings all the nations to the earth <laughs> on, under their knees, right? The, the head of all of God's armies and all of the power that he reveals himself in. And the reality is we understand that all of this is Jesus, but sometimes I think we wrestle to try to, to put it together in our heart and our mind. How can all of this be Jesus? Do You know, there's a book in scripture where God reveals himself in the whole scope of all of his ministry to us where he kind of puts it all together and reveals himself fully. And it's actually the book of Revelation. And this series, we're going to be starting just the very beginning of Revelation as Jesus reveals himself to us and uh, beginning to see him as he is. And one of the things I want to help you make sure that we we gain by the end of this series is going to be our memory verse as well, a central truth that, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why I picked it as our memory verse for this series. So uh, here we go. Just say it along with me. Three, two, one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, eight. Oh, you sound good again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, eight. This is a simple one. So we're just going to test ourselves here we go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. And forever, Hebrews thirteen eight. You know what's that wonderful truth that is? And just to remind you of that, on your connection card we do have that memory verse. It's perforated. We encourage you to take that with you as another tool, reminding yourself of this throughout your the week. As you set God's word into your heart, think about it, put it onto your mind, and let it transform your soul. All right. Now that we've done that, let's uh, get into our Bibles. We want. I'd like you to turn them to Revelation chapter one that's where we're going to be. Uh, Revelation is uh, its the last book in Scripture, but not just the last book of the Bible that we find here. It was actually the last one written about the end of the first century. It was uh, written by the uh, last living apostle, which was John. Uh, he was on the island of Patmos because he was being exiled there because he wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus, and the Romans just couldn't kill him. They tried, and so they finally were like, we can't do anything about us. so quarantine this dude, and even then, the gospel got out, and while he was on that island, and he was there because he couldn't go to church, he was on Sunday morning. He was he was in the spirit, and I'm sure he was praying for the church because the the world, the church was was uh, wondering what should we do, right? Uh, we have uh, this uh, the the gospel is is now going out of the first generation now to the second generation. Jesus still hasn't come back. I'm sure that that the the rest of the people who were there, the churches were wondering, is Jesus really coming back, <laughs> right? What is God's plan in this? What are we going to do when the last apostle is gone? And Jesus reveals himself to the apostle John and uh, with an incredible message for us and for, for the church of that time. And that's really where we're going to be at in, in this particular session. Now, one of the things that uh, we're going to find in this is that Revelation sometimes sounds a little bizarre and scary. And uh, and you're going to see a, some of that in what I'm going to read today, where we're going to be. And then what I'm, I'm going to explain it to you, it's not scary at all. There's some really great things that we're going to learn from it. So let's join me if we start in verse 9. And this is basically the whole series is going to be starting in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And uh And so we start reading there, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and in patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what it will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands are this the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, that's a pretty bold introduction. And uh, we've got some pretty vivid images that, that John saw he was there. You, you see Jesus showing up. You have these, these crazy lampstands. You have this, this powerful being, this son of man showing up with, with woolly white hair and a glowy face and a really sharp tongue and blazy eyes and like, glowy feet, right? And some fresh clothes, you know, glowing and gold and all that kind. No wonder he passed out. But in this, we also recognize as Jesus reveals himself, he says, the things that you see have a meaning. The lampstands have a meaning, the stars have a meaning. In fact, everything that is described about Jesus has a meaning. And that's because Revelation is an apocalypse. Apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. It's a style of prophecy that God somehow, certain prophets, were given these types of visions. They were loud, incredible visions that seemed terrifying and strange, but they were meant to tell some really very important truths to convey them. And the prophets that we see through Scripture that have been given these, we saw Daniel was given those, Ezekiel, Zechariah had these. Now we have John is given this incredible vision and saying, these things... (laughs) that are all there, mean something. So think about like, like uh, Daniel, when he saw his vision, he saw uh, all kinds of things. Like one time he saw a crazy unicorn goat running across the ground and it knocked out this crazy, huge, nasty ram and knocked it off the earth. And then find out later that he was a prophecy about that was uh, Alexander the Great and the Greeks coming across and knocking out the, the twin empires of the Median and the Persians, right? Vivid imagery, meaning something that's very real, something literally that's going to happen, or something that is a very real truth. That is what Revelation is. And so we're going to look in at this next couple of weeks as we go into Revelation. As Jesus reveals himself, there are ten terms applied just to Jesus. So each week we're going to talk about two of those, about who Jesus reveals himself to be and why it matters for us. It's pretty fantastic uh, stuff. Now, as we go into it, it's not just the images have meaning, but also numbers have meaning as well in scripture and in prophecy and especially today we're going to talk about those so let's just go over them real fast uh the number two in scripture when we have that it means witness right or faithful witness so for example there was two tablets there are two covenants right that when jesus sent out the seven he sent them out in what twos Right? In fact, even in the law, it says if you guys have one testimony, it doesn't matter. But if you have the testimony of two, it's a faithful witness. Two is always witness. When you see it in Scripture, that's what you know. Number three is talking about divinity. Right? It talks about God's sovereignty when you see number three. So the Trinity, uh, as he reveals himself there as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have when Jesus was on the cross, uh, there was three hours of darkness. That wasn't by a mistake. Right? You have, uh, Jesus was rose on, raised again on the cross third day, right? So divinity and God's sovereignty. Four always talks about creation, this earth. There's the four points of the compass, the four corners of the earth, the four winds, all those types of things. And we see four, we know we're talking about earth. Five, this is one of the ones that was... i found most interesting in that. But that's salvation and judgment as you go through. Especially when you read about how the temple and the tabernacle were laid out and the groups of 50s and things like that that were there. But fives are, are uh, salvation and judgment. So, uh, for example, when Jesus told the parable of the, uh, his return, he said there's going to be five wise virgins and five foolish virgins, right? Some go to salvation, others face judgment. Then we have here six. Six is the number of humanity. It's also the number of the curse. Why is it the number of humanity? Because we were made on the sixth day. But it's also the curse because it's one less than seven. And seven happens to be God's number. Perfection. Right? The earth was made in seven days. It's how God chose to make it. Right? uh, God was going to destroy Jericho, so they had to walk around it how many times? seven, right? We have, uh, if you're supposed to forgive, 70 times seven times, right? Uh, seven is God's number. So when you see it, this is his saying, this is my thing. Interestingly enough, seven happens to be three plus four. So it's God's perfection, his will, his sovereignty on this creation. It's just the fullness of his thing. So when we see seven, God's mark upon it. Number 10, eight and nine kind of get gypped, I'm sorry, but eh. 10 is completeness, right? Because most of us have 10 fingers, right? And so completeness is the fullness of things. We see 10, you know, he's talking about the very fullness of things. So you have the 10 coins, the 100 sheep, you have the 1,000 years and the 10,000 generations or whatever. Every 10 and multiplies, multiples of it is just talking about completeness, the fullness of stuff. And then we get to 12. We see 12 in Scripture, it's God's people or God's government. You have uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. You happen to have the 12 apostles. That wasn't by mistake. Jesus was very particular about that. In Revelation, you read about the 24 elders of thrones, right? Because that's the two witnesses, the 12 and the 12, old covenant, new covenant. And then we get fun. You can start adding and multiplying these things together, and you would have God's people times God's people, and uh, then to the fullness of it, you end up with 100 that's all of God's people everywhere. So, numbers have meaning in Scripture. And we don't understand that, and we just take the numbers in Revelation and Scripture totally literally we end up like Jehovah's Witnesses and think there's only going to be 144,000 people saved, right? So understand that numbers have meaning, and today I want you to focus on the number seven because the very first number in uh, Scripture, in in Revelation, happens to be the number seven, and we see it in Revelation chapter one, which we read about here. It says, I turned around, and and I see the voices speaking to me, and I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man. So we see the seven. The lampstand is God's lampstand. It's his. If There's a perfect lampstand. It's God's lampstand, right? So what does the lampstand represent? Well, this lampstand and the seven lampstands, uh, we have a clue there. It says, I saw a, you get there, a golden lampstand. And that tells us the identity of the lampstand. This is the lampstand that was also uh, made and stood in the tabernacle, the ones that were made for the temple. Right? In Exodus 25, we read about how this lampstand was, was called by God to be made. A, he told Moses, he said, Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower, cups, and buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Right? This was a, what we know as the menorah. Now, this is the traditional menorah, the seven-lamped uh, menorah, not the modern one that they use for Hanukkah, which has the eight lamps to celebrate the miracle of the eight days of light, but the seven-lamped menorah that stood in the uh and the tabernacle right it's the only item in all of the tabernacle that was made of pure gold and it was made of 75 pounds of pure gold which i think is is pretty awesome it has in its design it's very well described it's supposed to have blood buds and blossoms which remind us of the tree of life right and it was the only source of light in the tabernacle all right and uh in the holy place. And so let's talk about its location because the symbolic, everything in the tabernacle means something. And it points to Jesus actually pretty, pretty phenomenal way, but it has significant meaning. So this is a picture uh, some artists on the internet did about the tabernacle and I stole it. And then on the outside of it, you'll see there was a, the walls that kind of went around it. And on the east side of the wall, there was a gate reminding us that when Adam and Eve sinned, they got cast out the east of Eden. And now God made a way back for humanity back through the East Gate. When you walk in, if you had access, which not many people did, but you would have access there and you would go into the outer court. And in the outer court, there were two pieces of furniture. The first one was a bronze altar upon which sacrifices were burnt for the sins and the impurities, all the things that the, for the payment of the penalty of sin, right, was there. Behind it, you have a, a brass come, a bronze water basin for the purification. So when sacrifices were made for sin, then there was the purification purification, right? And behind that then, of course, was this tent, which we know as the tabernacle. The tabernacle had a big curtain on the front that you had to, you know, only a few people could go into if you were authorized. But if you went into it, there was the first room, which was called the holy place. Holy means separate, different. This is unlike any other place on earth, right? And, uh, and behind the holy place, there was a big old thick curtain that separated the two and behind the holy place was the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was the most holy item in all of the world at the time. Is this? It is the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, inside the Ark, of course, there was the, the, ta- um, the tablets, Aaron's staff, you know, a jar of man, all that. But, but the most important thing was, was on top of it. There's the mercy seat, but in between there is where it said that God's presence, his glory, dwelt. And this is where God was. And separating God from humanity, of course, was this massive curtain that separated the most holy space from the holy place. And in the holy place, you would have this altar of incense that would fill the room with uh, a, a, a proprietary blend of spices that God says, don't you dare mix it up or you're going to get in big trouble. Because that was holy for that space, reminding us of the prayers of the people. Oh, there's the, the table of showbread, reminding us of God's provision and his goodness. And across from that, on, uh, we have on the south wall, that's where we have the lampstand. This is the lampstand that John saw, and that lampstand has a lot of symbolism. So let's go through that lampstand and the symbolism it has. The first thing is it's made of solid gold, right? So all of the items outside of the holy space were made of bronze, that's kind of earthly kind of stuff, but everything inside of the temple was made of gold, reminding us that it was was precious, and it was holy, it was different, it was set apart. Now this was the only item, and even in the holy spaces, that wasn't just overlaid in gold, but was made of pure gold. So the lampstand was precious and pure and holy. The shape of it reminds us of the tree of life and reminds us again that we now have access, that God was providing access back to eternal life. When Adam and Eve sinned and got cast out of the east of Eden, they lost access to the tree of life. And now God was making a way back so humans could have eternal life again and would have access to it. The next thing that we have in there is we have the purpose of the lamp is to what? give light. That's the easiest one of all of those, right? It was the only source that was there. And it's to reveal God's truth, right? This is what it was to symbolize and all this. But think about, uh, we're going to, next, but if if you didn't have light there, then you would go into the holy space and you wouldn't see anything. You wouldn't see the table of showbread. You couldn't see God's provision. You wouldn't know how to get to the the altar of incense because you couldn't see it to even light it. You'd be like, what are is things? You'd just be in ignorance, lost in darkness.